Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Martin Campos, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a huge pleasure. <laughs> huge pleasure. So I've been following you for I don't know how long, but you have got to be in my top five draftsmen out there. I don't know. I've got so many questions on how you arrived where you're at. And I don't even know if you know this, but I purchased one of your drawings some time ago. You do remember that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Freaking mm -hmm. love that thing. Love it. Mm. I look at it, obviously, I look at it all the time, just wish I could mm -hmm. somehow channel your powers and, and draw more like that. But um, well, so you. what I want to know, first of all, is tell me a little bit about how you arrived in this art field, a little bit about your past. Um, well, uh, my story is that I wasn't at all intrigued with even being, I didn't even know what an artist was. Uh, I came up uh, in the desert Southwest in between Carlsbad, New Mexico and El Paso, Texas. So far from any museum, far from any, uh, you know, back in the seventies, we live practically in the middle of the desert. And, um, I'm one of five, so I kind of got lost in the shuffle um, next to the youngest. Thank God my younger brother was born because I didn't have to be the baby of the family. <laughs> but but yeah, the, the, the larger the family, the more wide varying the archetype. Mm -hmm. And so I was the quiet one. And I've been thinking about it recently that Part of my development has been for the fact that I was lost in the shuffle and I had to somehow uh, retain the sense of, of, of believability or exposure. You know, I had a family who was very, is very charismatic, uh, a grandfather that was very well um, uh, respected in the community. So, you know, I was literally like the, you know, like the needle in the haystack. So I felt, um, you know, kind of in the beginning very lonely, but living uh, in a very uh, large space it gave me this opportunity. I don't know how I happened to find myself. And my first love was diesels trucks hmm. and where where we lived was between two cities and we had a two-lane highway it was a major thoroughfare for these semi-trucks and we'd go from one city to the other and you'd hear them on the road and that was my probably my first recollection of of falling in love with something outside of where I, who i was because i would identify with these things and 
um, my first love was wanting to drive one. They're big, huge things. And uh, knowing very quickly that I wasn't able to do it, I had a kindergarten teacher who gave me a, a crayon. And I do remember uh, him or her, I forget who, which one it was, who told me if you draw it, you'll feel like you're doing that thing. Mm. So that I think that's probably my first foray um, of, and, even, and and then I didn't know what an artist was. It was just like, okay, I couldn't do it, so I would draw it. So that evolved as I got older into other things that I would manifest with uh, charcoal, pencil. You know, I felt that if I couldn't have it or I couldn't uh, realize it when I would draw it, it made me feel as if I was integral into that. So the whole time I was just learning all these rudiments of drawing, I had no realization because I was just completely enveloped by this fantasy world of, of method acting, of wanting to be these things, until I got into high school and realized, wow, this thing you've been doing, an actual people actually do this for a living, you know, or they make their lives out of it. <clears throat> and left home, when I graduated high school, I left home on my own. Um, and wanted to test out for a couple of years if this was the thing I wanted to do. And floated from job to job and did all these little things that, you know, young 20-year-olds, 18, 19-year-olds do. They go and they work in restaurants and the whole time saving my money, going to figure drawing groups, drawing the most horrible figure drawings. But um, the other really great thing was a community that uh, was really the thing that helped me navigate that those early hard times. So, um, and the models that I worked with in the very beginning who had more hope for my work than I ever did. <laughs> hmm. They saw something that I didn't see and would push me. So uh, that's kind of really, you know, I've there's a lot of stuff in between that I didn't mention, like my first model that I ever had who pushed me to leave this little town and go to a bigger town. Um, and ignoring this model for her intentions, but loving her for her, what she gave me as a, uh, as a, a hope, you know, I'd never drawn a figure in real life. I'd been copying and this one young lady who was in my same, the same undergrad class was saw how driven I was and invited me to her house. And I took an empty sketch pad and drew her and left. <laughs> and I remember leaving her house thinking I finally did it. You know, I finally joined the ranks of the Michelangelo's and the <laughs> and the Degas. Although her intentions, I think, were a little bit more. Um, and it was it was a, a wonderful watershed of a moment because um, it she this person had this um, trust in me and. It was literally like she was giving me the golden ticket to to say, you know, you can do this, move on. And I did. It, it was like that that moment where I just left home and pursued this thing at the fear of my mother and father. You know, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to be able to survive? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it was in it was in that that you know the drawing a, a real model. 
for the first time, a real person that there's something that happened there combined with what had happened, what had come before all that preparation was the fuel I needed to kind of um, evolve, leave home and then begin to pursue this crazy thing that I'm still pursuing. I still yeah. feel that when I work with models, I still feel that fear, that sense of anticipation. And I love that because it tells me I'm still in the game. You know, I'm still that student that I've always been. So, so. a couple of questions about that. So first of all, were you, were you a, an art student at the time? And was this model a fellow student? Uh, well, I was um, studying, um, I was an undergrad at you know, New Mexico State University. It was like an art lab. And uh, everyone else in the whole college was studying other things nursing and all these things and i was the only guy in there that was pursuing this and she was taking the class as an elective mm. and i was i think 18 or 19 and i was very driven and she just saw this and took it upon herself to to have me draw her personally because the place that i was at very conservative they didn't allow nude models mm. and i surely didn't have the the wherewithal to ask you know? right um so uh, it was very tentative and it was very kind of slow steps. Uh, I didn't actually go to art school until I was 30. No kidding. So um, no, I've, I've only yeah, moved to Philadelphia in 2001 and went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts the year after and graduated in 07. But everything up to that point was um, just feeling my way, really making sure this is what I wanted to do. A very slow uh, um, you know, kind of a wallflower in a very you know, a little tentative. I'm a different person now. I think going to the academy and going to art school at an older age was this thing that helped me move away from that, be a bit more adventurous, risk-taking, but still with the sensibility of the naiveness that I have. Mm -hmm. so, so I think that a lot of the drawing and the painting is just a pretext for a lot of who I really am. I mean, most artists will say that. Right. Work. You, are, you are painting who you are. The figure, the landscape, the narrative is just a, you know, a, a pretext for that. A, a vehicle that you use to figure out where your place is in that time. I still, I think more now as I'm, you know, I just turned 50 and the more I look back on it, I really realize that, you know, it was never about the art. It was about something much bigger, hmm. you know, I have a, a, a much more enveloped way of seeing things now, which has made me really appreciate so much you know, the, the models that I've worked with and the communities of artists that have been there to support me, the teachers that I've studied with, um, they were always there for me. So, Do you think yeah. that if this model hadn't shown up for you that you would have gone a different route? Um, no, I would have stayed, but it would, my development would have been hampered a little bit probably. It was all, it, it was crazy how this happened in one afternoon. Um, I sometimes think about that very question you asked, you know, but life is about these things. You know, if you had left 
you leave the house five minutes later, will this happen? Right. Right. You know, what happens if, you know, it's spooky to think about those moments. I think I probably would have uh, kept pursuing it, but my development would have not as been as uh, further. I wouldn't have really, um, you know, it may have been a month later, I would have moved to, to the larger city, you know. But that sets all these trajectories of other things that could have happened. I would not have met this person. I would not have done I this. Know, so right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really hard question to answer, you know. But, uh, well, more specifically, that, you're focused on nude, the nude. I mean, that's your specialty, yeah. right? And this, and you're in this school that doesn't do nude models. And this girl comes to you and says, hey, I, let me give you an opportunity to work from a nude model. Yeah. I mean, how pivotal was that in your choice of subject matter or did she choose you because she already saw that you wanted that subject matter? Uh, the latter. The latter. It was the latter. Okay. okay. Yeah. She, you sometimes find in life that people see you and you can't see yourself. You oh, know? yeah. And then people have more of a, of a holistic sense of who you are. Hmm. You know, we are all, you know, children to people. I just don't know how that makes any sense, but, mm -hmm. uh, but this person saw something that I didn't see, saw the potential and gave me this gift. You know, the, this, the intensity of being with another person in a room and creating something with a burnt stick and how it creates this kind of electricity. You know, your heart beats like a thousand miles an hour. You have all the history of the artist that you loved at that moment, right in front of you. You're doing the same thing they did you're following this this thing that's been done for you know hundreds, you know, hundreds and thousands of years maybe and you you really find yourself in that moment um and it's incredible and i didn't i wasn't thinking of that then you know it's just like wow i got this opportunity to actually draw a person i'll do it i'll buy a new sketch pad i'll ride a bike to her place and draw her and leave you know and as I've gotten older and a bit more, um, you know, filled with uh, uh, my memories and thinking about, you know, the, all those things, you, you hark back on all those moments and realize, wow, that, that actually happened, hmm. you know, but, you know, and I, I count many, many, you know, I could count many times when that happened since then, you know, creating art, doing any kind of work takes a huge amount of bravery. It takes a lot of guts and a lot of skill and will and, um, you know, starting off with risk taking by leaving home, by taking this opportunity going to art school at an older, later age, taking the opportunity to go and study and go and teach in different parts of the world. I mean, you know, all these moments um, um, that have happened in my life up to now, um, the art has been the thing that has been part of that, that has helped me kind of navigate life in a, you know, this very tough life we have, especially as an artist, you know, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. So, hmm. art helps. It's very cliche to say it, but you know, art does save lives. You know, 
yeah. does help people. And you can look at artists throughout history, from musicians to painters to poets, who always made that testament that art has been that thing that has kind of buttressed them, kept them going when times were hard. Mm. You know, so. I don't, I don't want to, you know, stay on this too long, but I find it very interesting. Mm -hmm. But with this, this woman that helped you out, um, did you, so my first experience with a model was in a classroom with a nude model was in a classroom and I grew up in a conservative family and never had, I was also one of five, by the way. So I, and I was a middle child, so I, I can totally relate to what you were saying. But um, I just remember it just being um, a very strange experience uh, it, for about two or three minutes. And then I became hypnotized. I was just mm -hmm. like, and at the risk of, um, I don't want anyone to misinterpret this because I don't mean this in a romantic or sexual way, but it's like every, that model and every model sense, I kind of fall in love with while I'm drawing them. Right. Do you experience that when you draw the model? It's like you just become to say that. Yeah, you just become you start to appreciate their form at a level that you wouldn't appreciate in any other environment um than when you're drawing yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. I absolutely agree. I think any artist that would say the would say different would probably be um cheating themselves out. I think you do have to kind of fall in love, have that relationship to invest the the intensity of the passion, pain to the struggle, the sadness that they're giving you. You know, if you are there to create something based on that, you have to have some kind of love, some kind of, of connection to pull that out. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I agree with you. It's like a lot of people misinterpret, you know, Martin, you know, you draw the, the model and that's it's kind of part of being a figurative artist that people always think that you know you think of andrew wyeth doing the helga series and all you ever hear is like did they have an affair and it's like that's not the point no you know it's like a very kind of of banal thing to think about you know it's you, you just roll your eyes when people say that well, that's like the archetype of the artist the male artist drawing the female form that that's the intention. Um, and yes, there is that, but it isn't, it's this kind of thing where you take them, the feeling and you manifest line color with it. You know? And that's been that struggle my whole life. You know, I'm sure, you know, like a lot of, you know, my sisters and my siblings were a bit um, concerned about me because I wasn't getting involved and had girlfriends yet. I was drawing models like what's wrong, you know, <laughs> and there was no way there was no way that I can convince them, you know, otherwise. And I love them dearly. But uh, my connection to them is very limited in terms of my art career. Mm -hmm. um, I have closer friends. I mean, the people that are closest to me in my life are my compatriots who paint and draw more than and my sisters and brothers, who again I dearly love, but we're on completely different planes. So that t tension that happened between me and them, or people who don't understand that, is one of the things that has driven me to do what I do. You, know, you think of Stephen Corn and a lot of the ten things that he said. You know, if you have any kind of 
a feeling of boredom, of sad, you know, these kind of things. You don't wallow in those feelings. You take the energy and you move with them. That's kind of how it is with things like some people don't understand the, the complexity it takes to kind of work with the model. It's just so intense. That moment, the feeling that you said you feel, I feel to this day. It's very awkward. I'm really afraid. I still, you know, like I said earlier, I still feel like that 18-year-old drawing the model for the first time, you know. There's uh, just this fear, you know, and I love that because it's an energy that I work from. Mm -hmm. And it just pulls things out. And when you work with the model for a period of time, they push back at you with the, with an intensity and you push it back to them and they push it to you. And so there's a dialogue happening. And luckily I have that opportunity to use paint, charcoal, pastel to kind of hopefully direct it into something that's in some way uh, synonymous with what we're communicating with. Hmm. So I want to go back to something you said about your families. Um, because it, that, that's a, something i've been battling for many years so i'm very interested in in diving a little bit deeper um sure. you, you you mentioned that you don't relate to your siblings um and you your people i mean i'm paraphrasing but your people are people that that draw and paint like you do and you can relate more to them they understand you right um yeah, more of my you know more of my community of artists i wouldn't and a pigeonhole it to just figurative artists, just artists in general. Right. From the landscape to the still life to the abstract, these people are, I just know them. They're just more like family in, in that way. My art family. And then I have my blood family. And I've been able, you know, I'm 50 now. When I was in my 20s and 30s, it was this hard moment where I, ha I had to learn how to separate the two worlds and have the love for my family be what it was and the love of my community, but my my art family and my real family and separating the two. Hmm. You know, one's not any better than the other. You know, they both serve a wonderful purposes in my life. Yeah. And it's it's taken a while to, 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 to come to grips with that. You know, I had a solo show in Paris. I've traveled to South Africa to teach and, you know, my family wasn't there to kind of like, yes, that's great. Or, wow, that's so amazing. You know, they were always absent with these wonderful pivotal moments that I had in my life. And it was very hard for me. I'd be, had this anger. Like, how come they can't be more a part of And it's like, it's not about you, Martin. You know, they, they love you. They're not going to judge you for that. It's just you're different people. I was the one chicken or the one bird that flew out of the nest and kind of flew a little bit further and did something strange, you know, uh -huh. and there's nothing, there's nothing about me that's better than that, than them because of that, you know, or, or exclusive, you know, I just kind of flew a little bit further this way. And, um, and I'm okay with that, you know, I'm totally okay with that. Hmm. So yeah. The reason I find that, um refreshing in one way refreshing but another way it's it's well let's put it this way it that has been a constant struggle for me because i'm resisting the stereotype 
that artists are different. Like for, for many mm -hmm. years, I've resisted that stereotype that there's something unique um, and about our personalities that makes it difficult for us to relate to others that aren't artists. Right. And mm -hmm. um, so what I do is I say to myself, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, difficult, not because I'm an artist, just because I'm difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So hearing you uh, say this is like, um, it's just interesting to hear that uh, because I, I feel like a lot of artists go through that. Um, but like mm. I said, as, as an artist, I'm like, no, that's just an excuse. That you, it's just an excuse. You're making excuses. People don't understand. People don't understand me because I'm an artist. Oh, you're just making excuses. Right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are we are a crazy bunch, right? That's well, that's much. yeah. I suppose it's real, but um, it's interesting to hear you say that. I know a lot of artists do, and um, whenever I'm around other artists, it feels like you said it's like uh, it feels like you're with a different type of family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's anything that I've ever done. Um, and it's been me, but it's really been all those people that have, that have showed, you know, who were there for exposing me to artists and models that have done things where they've pushed my levels. They saw how good I was, but they knew I could do better and they would challenge me by pushing poses or doing things that they knew that were, beyond my scope but knowing that you know it really transcended them being a model and me being the guy scratching you know a burnt stick on a piece of paper it was this unity of like togetherness being a creative engine together it's like when i'm working with the model or i'm with a community we're just really trying to like come together so much that we're one you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's like sex you know, and it's like you do it and it's like you want to be one being. Right. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's really is like that. So, so do you much. feel like you are what you do? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, I am. Obviously, if I don't do it for a couple of days, I feel um, unborn. I feel unmade. I feel like an unperson. Hmm. You know, to quote, to quote, uh, or well there is to be like this un, unknown thing. So when, and most artists will tell you that who are really driven by it, that if they don't paint or draw for two or three days, they just feel a shell. And it's, it is who I am. It gives me this sense of, 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 of reality of being a being on the planet. If I connect to that energy source that's out there and kind of express it somehow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, cause that, that's the question that I've, I've asked myself many, am I what I do? That's, that's always been the, the question I've battled with for many years. So I'd love hearing your perspective on this. Yeah. I think yeah. it's more of the spirit more than the actual things that I paint. It's more of the, of the big, own, the big holistic thing that I am. It's not the paintings that I do. So a lot of the figure drawings and the really strange figurative things that I do are they're more of the model. They're more of what's happening in the universe. I'm what's really me is that the spirit of doing it. Would you say it's the what's you is the drive to create? 
not so much what yeah. you create, but just the drive to create. Absolutely. 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 What I do, it comes through, I react to it, I produce something, and then I do. And it could all be relegated to a big bonfire, and I would be okay with it. You yeah. Know, if yeah, someone that's... were to buy a painting, yeah, if someone were to buy a painting of mine, and then I would see that it'd be in the trash can burning, I'd just walk, keep walking by it. Right. It wouldn't, right. Bo- yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me, because it's not me. I had that moment when I did it, when I was in that situation where I was reacting with my with the model or the memory or a uh, idea and creating something from that. That will always be mine. The finished product is hopefully a you know a result of that. People ask, when do you know a painting's finished? I think for me, it's when the piece is a pure result of the feeling I had when I did it. Mm. And so when the piece is done, I could care less about it. I mean, I love them. I'm not going to say that I throw everything away. Right. But um, when I look at a drawing, I'm not looking at something that I've done. I really don't reflect on how articulated or how pretty the color is. Like, wow, I remember that moment. You know, that moment was great. I remember what they were doing. I remember what we talked about. You know, I remember that movie I watched when I was doing it. You know, those are the, the things. So paintings are like these these like results of your past, of your of that being in that moment. So so how important how important then is it for you to work from life? Because you say you remember the moment, you react to the model, you react to their yeah. what they're doing, you react to the conversation, you remember all of these things that can only happen from life. So mm-hmm. does that mean it's absolutely critical for you to work from life? Yes. I need to have that connection in some way. I do work from photographs or photo references that are based on that. That time when I worked with them, so I'll have them all come to the studio and do do scads of drawings. But I'm, I'm always communicative, always talking. We're joking, we're laughing, we're doing that stuff. The drawing happens as a result of that. And if I didn't have that connection, the work would it wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't even do it. Really, I wouldn't be inspired by it. I need to have that that connection with the model in a, in a life, you know, in a, in a real sense. Now this Zoom thing has been a new thing. I've gotten really locked into working virtually, which in the beginning um, I was a bit apprehensive about because it was one of these things that would replace that very intimate thing that you have when there's a living being in front of you. And very quickly, I realized that it that my fears were were to be um, unfounded. I ended up loving it. In hmm. um, I uh, currently work with a model who's in Albania. Never met them, and it's I think all those years of working with models in real life, I've been able to adapt that to working on a screen. Hmm. You know? And. And I tell I, I do teach a lot on on virtual format, and I'm always telling these young people that follow what I do or love my drawing that you need to you know this Zoom thing is a great thing. This whole 
virtual modeling, but you really need, if you're really going to get any kind of, of, of work that's going to have a lasting power that will transcend that medium is you need to be in front of a model and then combine it with that. You know, it's like the whole virtual modeling is such a great thing. It's like when photography happened in the late 19th century, it was like, everyone's like, oh, my God, this is going to destroy art. It only enhanced it, you know. Hmm. And the, the virtuality thing has only enhanced my levels, you know, and brought me to bigger communities than the ones in Philadelphia or D.C. I'm working with people in England and Albania and Germany and France and New Zealand and South Africa, hmm. you know. And it's incredible because there's all these different people from different parts of the world, and we all have the same problems. Yeah. How do you draw that? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> and it's wild. It's so wonderful. It's very wild. You know, I love that. It's so exciting. So I have two questions for you. Okay, so I mean, I of course have my own feelings on this because I also really love working from life um, and do it a lot. Um, but why? Why? Tell me a little bit more about why you think or believe that someone cannot really reach their full potential as an artist on Zoom, and they have to be in front of a living, breathing person. Can you expound well, on that a little bit? It's, it's just obvious. You're seeing them breathe. You're seeing their blood flush. You know, you're feeling the air around them. You know, you're looking at the dirt on their toes. I mean, it's more primal when you actually see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this sense of of the smell, you can actually smell their skin. You can hear, feel the the wave of the of the air when they flick their hair. You can hear their voice in a very kind of guttural way, and those things reach your insides, for lack of a better way of saying it. And you don't get that on a flat screen. Now, if you've done a lot of that, you can go to the flat screen and you can emote that. Okay. You know? Years and years of, of working with models, and I've done my fair share. You know, lots of miles of bad drawings, and I'm still doing the bad drawing. Yes, I have the bad ones. <laughs> Good attitude. <laughs> As for, oh, it's I love them. The worse drawings, the better. You know, it's like they teach you where you need to go. But you know, um, it's just having that real sense of 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 space. I think it's the feeling of another being occupying a space of air in the same room you're in. You know, when we draw and we paint, it's really about displacing space. The, the tension between the form and the air around it and how they push and pull against one another. You know, that's a dialogue that's happening already without you drawing. There's this kind of tension physical tension that's happening that you really feel when you're with a mob, when you're with a real person in a room. There's an electricity there. And I actually feel that. It sounds kind of crazy, witchy a little. But when I have a, a, someone come into our room, I phys- into my studio, I physically feel it getting compacted, the space. It just has this kind of, like things, like someone walks into my studio and I just, I feel like I'm being pushed a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and when you have a when you have a model in a room, it's it's the same thing. But then they're when they disrobe and they start to turn and gesture, there's an electricity that makes it even more you know, a thousandfold. 
And how can you draw or paint and not have that affect the way that you work? It is going to seriously affect the way that you push your color, move your line. So that's the big reason why, you know, you need to work from the live model um, because of those kind of witchy things, for lack of a better way of saying it, the witchy, crazy, weird physical things that happen in a very primal way that um, have affected at least the way that I work. Um, and, you know, working, I've only been working with the virtual modeling for the past couple of years because we all had to go to that because of the, the big plague, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, God, I hope this, God, I hate this. I'm going to hate this. Why do I have to do this? And then after working with it for 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, my God, where have you been my whole life? Really? This was so great. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Okay, so. Because yeah, one, of, one of those things that I love about that is when you dial in a model and they're posing in their space, they move differently than they would. Oh, they so there's an added element of realism in a way. Right. They're. You know, if a model comes into my studio, they're going to be a bit, you know, like this. You know, when they pose in their living room, they when their body moves completely different. Cat walks by, you know, hear, you hear like birds outside their window. There's all these. It's just, it's the same thing that happens in the models in my studio in that primal sense, but it's another way of seeing it um, in a virtual way. It's really hard to explain. Yeah. And, but I, I, again, I have to say this, I was a bit apprehensive, but then something about my, in the history of working with models and being hyper aware of those non-formal things, you know, the primality, the space, the intensity, it quickly came into that virtual world for me. You know, it was like, it's like a computer rebooting and then resetting itself. Hmm. If that makes any sense. I think so. So, okay, here's the thing that I'm wondering. You kind of so, touched on it. So, so take that, you anti-Zoom people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you tell them, man. You tell them. Yeah, yeah I'm going to see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see all of my followers like dwindle. Like, okay, yeah. we're not going to follow <laughs> Yeah, you're a pariah. Man, okay. No, but so I'm one of those people. Like, I am not anti Zoom. Obviously, you and I yeah. are talking on a, you know, over the internet, right? But um, I've been, I've, here's, here's what my justification has been for not doing it. I said, why not just work from a photo? It's just a moving photo. It's still a flat screen, right. it's just a moving photo. So what is and the difference? Is what is the difference between it's, working from Zoom and working from a photo? Um, not, it's kind of a, a moving photo. I mean, you're right. Your your, your justifications are on, are on point, but it's those other things. You know, I think it's what I was mentioning five ten minutes ago. You know, um, it's taking this leap, going back into my memory. You know, and that's what probably one of the most powerful things that an artist can manifest into their work is not is is utilizing your history and memory, and that's not just the formal elements, but it's just like the memory of of a sensation, the memory of touch, the memory of a sound, and when you have 
this very saccharine, this very kind of, of synthetic way of working with the model, um, it's just like very akin to like what I feel I would probably imagine artists were feeling when photography was was born. You know, they had to just readjust. They had to take this mental leap of faith and trust their recollection that how they were able to work before and then adapt it to this new way of working. You know, and I, like Degas, he didn't even skip a beat. Like when the photography came out, he was probably one of the first to get a Polaroid mm-hmm. and use it, probably to the horror of his contemporaries. But he did even more com- com- compelling work because of it. It was a tool. Zoom is a tool. It's another thing. If I think that if Vermeer or Michelangelo or Rembrandt were alive, and it's probably going to like burn people's ears, they would probably be using it. I know they would. You know, I'm in Philadelphia. If Benjamin Franklin were to resurrect and be alive, he'd be the first person you would see in a Starbucks with the laptop and a in a in a cell phone. You know, the artists are the ones that take these opportunities. They see an, a door. They have they see a door and they open it. It's a bigger room. You know, they're not stuck by this sense of of allegiance to a way of working. They're trailblazers, they're risk takers, they're soothsayers, they're witches. They're gonna try it. Okay, but right? <clears throat> but it, I don't disagree with you. In fact, I wish I had a better memory, but there's a book that I have in my library that talks about the 19th century and pretty much everybody was using a camera. It wasn't just a guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Eakins, uh, obviously Degas, Monet, I mean, um, all, uh, the naturalists for sure were all using cameras, mm-hmm. but um, there seems like a maybe you could explain this conflict that I'm I'm hearing in your explanation. So you clearly see value in working from life, right? And I've oh, seen yeah. you work from life. I know why you value working from life because I've seen it on your videos and like, and it's, you're responding to the motion, you're responding to the model. You'll like, you, you seem, you'll like change the pose four or five times in a drawing sometimes. And just, it's like you're dancing with the model in your drawing yeah. in a way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's obvious to me that you thrive on that, mm-hmm. but yet you're saying that artists are at the you know, they're, they're ahead of the curve. They're all about use, utilizing technology. How do you balance those two, <laughs> those two things where you clearly appreciate tradition, but you also, mm-hmm. you also believe that an artist should be at the front of the line in technology? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, um, you know, some days I go to bed at night thinking I shouldn't. Shouldn't you know, use photography? Have, yeah, or Zoom. You know, I have the good Martin and the bad Martin. <laughs> one another, like the, the guy that's the guy that studied academically. Like you shouldn't be doing this. You know, like no. I think I, I don't know. Um, it's I think it all comes down to the point that I just want to paint. I want to do it. I just got to do it, and I'll use any means possible to put that line down. And 
That's hmm. first and foremost, not the computer or the real life model. I mean, those are those are things. Those are you know, concrete things I deal with. But what's important is the vision, the idea. You know, that's I think the clear thing in my head, uh, in a very holistic sense. That you know, I have an inspiration and an idea and a fire. How do I make keep the fire stoked? Well, I have to do anything I can, whether it's calling a model into the studio or dialing a model in from Germany and do a Zoom session to make that happen. Sometimes the Zoom thing sucks and I do have to get the model. Sometimes the model doesn't work well, so I have to have the Zoom. It's just another tool. So, you know, I'm a bit older now. I'm not in my 30s or 20s. I have to, I'm, I'm in a much more, I think, gregarious way of thinking in that regard, probably because maybe I have a finite amount of time now. I mean, I really have a sense that <laughs> clock's ticking, man. Yeah. You know, it's not, it, it's, it's crunch time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have to go. The number one thing is that impetus to do something and to, to have a, you know, the Martin of 30, 20 years ago would completely have left this conversation and burned the laptop because he couldn't believe Oh my Martin gosh. Was he's, he totally yeah, would. He'd be yeah, like, same. He's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing, Martin? You're, you're lying. What are you, what are you, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's surprising. And even my girlfriend is surprised that I have a much more laid back approach to things. That, yeah, you're not the guy you were a year ago. You're not the guy you were a month. Oh man. Yeah. I got to tell you something. So you're killing me. I feel like, uh, I, I, at the risk of getting real weird here, I feel like a kinship to you already, (laughs) man. I mean, because first of all, I'm 48, so I'm not far behind you. And I feel that, I feel that feeling of urgency. Like, okay, I'm I'm running out of time. Like I've got to do my masterpiece for crying out loud. I'm running out of time. (laughs) But also, um, you know, I, I quit using photography back in 2007 and then for 14 years never touched it to the degree that I just wouldn't draw if I could, if something mm-hmm. living wasn't in front of me. I would refuse to draw. And then COVID good, hit, yeah. COVID hit, and I had to <laughs> use photography. And it was like, yeah. it, I mean, I'm glad mm. I did the 14 years. I'm glad I did it because I, I it was, a, there are, for the most part, I'm glad I did it because I learned a lot and I grew in many ways. But I also lost something during that time because I was too much of a stickler and I would re- I would refuse to draw if I couldn't be looking at a live model. And um, now it's like liberating. I still I still work from life, but I'm not afraid to look at a cam- look at a photograph or afraid to look right, at right, Zoom right, or whatever. Right. And it's like ah, uh, as yeah. you put it, as you put it, you just want to create whatever you got to do. Just create. So That's thank you important. for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean. If it's anything, working virtually has helped me appreciate the live even more. You know, it's like when I go and ha- work with the live model, I see it much differently now because I've seen the other side. I've gone to the other side. Mm-hmm. I've gone to the dark side. As some of my contemporaries are. <laughs> dark side. Like, That's how I saw it for a know, while. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ooh, you, you, you do Zoom? How dare you? Like, yeah, I went there. <laughs> I went there. I loved it. But you know what? I could do the other thing too. 
so I can shape shift. And it all, you know, dude, it's just about creating the work. You got to do anything you can. And again, if the masters were alive, Vermeer to Rembrandt. Well, obviously you know, Vermeer. He, <laughs> well, he's a, a yeah, very I mean, obviously good he would have done it. Yeah. Right. He's, a, he's an old example of a very modern way of, of working. And it's like, wow, okay, that's what you do. Well, Vermeer because, would have been projecting you know, and everything. Vermeer would have been coloring on tinting photographs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Because yeah. you know what? You're here and then you're gone. You know, life. Right, like right. That. Right. And, and just have fun while you're here. Do the things you need to do. You know, no, I love it. That's, that's, because yeah. I, can't, I can't take all this stuff in my studio with me. You know, it's all going to go. But I'll have been there. I'll have, I'll have be on my deathbed like, wow, I was a part of that lineage. I did a little bit of that. I'm so happy. And that's what really, really counts for me, at least. Uh, and whether I make a masterpiece or not, or not, I really don't care. You know, I, I'm more about just being in the moment. And the more you're in that moment and lose the sense of got to do the masterpiece, got to do this, the more you actually do the masterpiece. That's great advice. I appreciate that. I like that. Yeah, don't, don't, don't look for the masterpiece. Don't look for the, for the light. You know, look for the dim, you know, look for the thing that's not even there because you know it's there, the hope. Mm-hmm. And when you re- you go for that, you actually create other stars for people to go to. Hopefully, you have paved the way for other people to kind of see how important it is to do this very crazy thing we do when we get up in the morning and go into our studios. Mm-hmm. To do that is to be a hero, I think. Hmm. This is uh this is a very enlightening conversation. I really appreciate this. I feel sort of like Absolutely. and I know I know you don't mean it this way, but I feel sort of like I'm in art counseling and I'm being healed right now. So I pray. <laughs> yeah. This It'll is good okay. stuff. This is good stuff. <laughs> All right. Um let's let's go ahead and switch over and look at a little bit of your work. Um, all right. So I, this is a detail. Let's go back to your page. So we're, we're doing something a little different today. We're going to look at your Instagram account because like many of us, your Instagram account is much more complete than your website. I think we're, I think a lot, a lot of us are neglecting our websites. (laughs) Um, so I'm just going to scroll through for a minute and I want to ask a couple of questions. Sure. First of all, and maybe some of them are un, uh, unanswerable, but just do your best if you don't mind. How did you come to this very dynamic gestural approach to the model? I mean, especially in this environment, I realize you and I are a little bit older, um, mm-hmm. but as you said, you started a little bit later. I did I did as well. Um, not quite as late mm-hmm. as you, but pretty late. Um, and you know, in this, in this very, this new revival of academic realism, you're doing very, very precise figures, but not academic. They're very, they're very gestural, very 
free, very loose, very colorful. And you're taking lots of liberties in color, line, form. Mm -hmm. You're editing, you're leaving things out. How did you, how did you separate? How did you take that step from just drawing a thing to making this art, to making it more than the <laughs> more than the model? Because that's how I've defined your work is it's more than the model. You're not just copying the model. How did you arrive at that? What, you know, were there little steps along the way where you're just like, you know what, I don't want to just copy exactly what I see. I'm going to try X. Right. I think my, I could probably pin that down to when I was in art school. My first year is the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. The, I came in academic, very cold very um, allegiant to the closed form way of working and being paired up with other people who were coming in much younger than I was, probably 20 years my senior. Junior. Say, 20 yeah. years younger, junior. And um, they were marvelous uh, technicians. At that time, you know, the academy was only accepting the top of the crop. And I was lucky to be uh, one of them, and then seeing them build work and looking at a drawing or a painting that they would do, and I go, oh my God, that's so good, and then walking in the next day, and they rubbed it out, and they were destroying it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, it was like the sound of a record player being ripped. Okay, <laughs> what's happening? What's happened? Why, why did they do that? I mean, you had something perfect there. Why are you eradicating it? Why are you turning it into a monster? You know, what, what's, this was this thing that was very mystifying for me the first year I was in art school. When I was 30, these kids were like in the early 20s. And I was like, well, maybe the teachers are doing it. Maybe it's the water. Maybe it's Philadelphia. I don't know. I've never encountered people doing this. And there was this term that was floating around the academy called feltness. Your piece had a sense of being felt. It was the drop the mic moment you left. If your, if your teacher came up to your drawing and looked at what you did and said, that's very felt, Martin. You put your brush down and you went and had a beer. That was like the moment. Not, it's beautifully drawn, the color's perfect. It was, did it feel like what happened? Mm. And I think watching people take something that was obvious when you would look at a model and going somewhere that was personal and being willing to risk the, the obviousness for the unknown was tremendously inspiring. You know, because I was doing beautiful drawings, but they were doing something different and I was being left behind. And there was like this inner love that they had you know, they would just do a drawing and rub it out and do a drawing or a painting and scrape it. And then it looked like, at that time, it looked like shit. I could curse, right? <laughs> Too late, you already <laughs> There's did. no other way. <laughs> you can edit that out. Um, but then watching them look at this canvas, it just looked, looked like a bomb hit it. And they're looking at they're looking at it like they love it. It was like, why? And, then, and, and I be, it slowly began to kind of think into my head. It was like they were getting the essence of that thing and they were willing to go the mile to risk something 
to get that feeling, not the result of what they did, not the, the, the formal elements of, of, of academia, which I love, I still love. So this, that was, I think, my second year, I was beginning to develop and find a new community of people that were risk takers. They were going for the feeling. They were going for the X factor. And I think watching the risk happen was tremendously inspiring for me. It helped me liberate and actually helped me kind of make this uh, dichotomy of, of, of like uh, my activism and more of my movement happened. It came together. You know, I was able to kind of, of, of bring those two worlds together and have them kind of work symbiotically because of the community and because of that. And it was gradual, you know, it was, didn't happen overnight. You know, I was working on this, you know, there were a lot of times I pushed up against it and didn't do it for two years. And then I visited it, visited again, and I'd push up against it. So it was a dialogue of not only the way my paint works, but also this dialogue of like internal struggle of, of being okay with going forward, but also keeping one step in my past very relevant. I think every drawing I do is a struggle with that. The drawing or the painting that you're looking at as you're flipping them are all just physical remind of manifestations of that struggle that I'm having every time. Mm. And it's that tension, the struggle that creates the work. You know, one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever got was from one of my professors at the academy, Alex Konevsky, oh, said, Martin, that's a good professor. Then you got to have tension in your work. All great work has tension. I've never forgot that. It still rings in my ears. Mm. And like, I still think of that. And it's either a tension with my past and my present or a tension that's happening with the model. You know, if I can't, if I'm having problems uh, pushing the form, I'll use a very arbitrary color. I'll use a very uh, saturated tone to push something if I can't feel it. Can't yeah, like right it. here, like right here on this green one in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, color becomes not something that I'm using to uh, uh, manufacture, yeah. to create what I'm seeing, but color becomes a tool to push a feeling. Color becomes a thing that keeps me from getting bored. Yeah. So how so, do you determine the feeling? I mean, are you responding to the model? It, are you coming in advance yeah. with a feeling you want to create? Um, it's, I'd like to say that it's mostly the model. Really? I come in every now and then with my idea. It usually doesn't work if I have an idea and I go to the model and have them do it. It always fails. I try, I go in with it and then nine times out of 10, they make the decision for me and I follow them. You know, I'm like the caboose on the train. I just keep, you know, the, each car rattles a little bit. I'm the last on the line to get the idea. <laughs> mm. So ta let's talk about these. So this is a, this is a stretch. Yeah. They're really mm -hmm. cool though. I mean, all of it's beautiful. And, and, and my favorite is, your figurative it's all figurative right but your figurative drawings your pastel figurative drawings which is well, i had mentioned i own one of them and oh God, 
It's so freaking cool. Um, but these are really cool too. And, and I can see figures. I mean, the, you are still looking at something. You're looking at a model. How do you no. get in that mental the, space where you can remove yourself? You mean, you, you mean the abstracted ones? The abstracted ones, yeah. Yeah, those, those are done from memory. Okay, but yeah, but you still have, um, you have something in um, your mind. You have a model in your mind, yes. right? How do, you, yeah. how do you get in that mental space where you can remove yourself so far from representation? I think for me with those, it's more of like the tactile quality of, uh, that is being manifested by what a model's done. Can you elaborate um, so a little more on that? Some, yeah. yeah, so sometimes a model will make me think of dirt, and sometimes a model will make me think of slime. Sometimes a model will make me think you of You don't tell the models steel. this, right? Oh, you're, you're, <laughs> no, I, you're making me think of thinking, slime and, and toilet yeah. scum right now. <laughs> yeah, right. No, that's like probably the, that's probably a very PG version of what I actually think, you know. Um, so they're 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 kind of making me a, mo a feeling of maybe a texture or the intensity of the way light hits them and the more abstract ones that you're seeing there are just um full-on um temporal uh um, um results you know buttressed by the thousands and thousands of figure drawings i've done whether they've been finished or erased <clears throat> If you look at any of the figure pastel figure drawings on this Instagram, you know, there's probably about at least 30 drawings underneath each one. Yeah. For some of the people who follow me on Instagram, I draw and then I rub out and I draw and I rub out and I draw and I rub out. It's a bit of a... And is that you looking for that tension voice. that you were talking about? I'm looking for um, this kind of, I'm trying to latch on, you know, I'm... I'm I'm falling down a cliff. You can all envision a cartoon where the guy's going, you know, the coyote's going down the cliff and he's trying to grab a bush as he's going down so he doesn't hit the ground. Like each drawing is like the model's there. I'm trying to um, hold on for dear life, look for that hook, and then I look for another hook, and then I have them change and I look for another hook. I'm waiting for some form of 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 continuity to happen um and i love it this sense of letting go of it is such a big freedom for me to make the bravery to look for something different every time so in that there's expressive more abstracted pieces we were looking at a minute ago are one result of working from that stimuli okay if that makes any sense and i do them there i actually time myself when i do them um when i start them um i usually they're like in a they're like a one sitting piece and i can't erase it they are what they are oh really so what yeah so i'll start one usually it take me about an hour to do one uh, and with those i don't rub out i kind of just keep adding so they actually go much slower where i'm not rubbing out i'm like putting a line down i step back for 15 minutes and i put a color down and step back for another 15 minutes i'm not allowed to rub out right 
So they become these one-hit wonders, I guess, mm-hmm. for lack of any other way of saying it. And it's just one kind of um, result, you know. It's like, for me, gesture is king, and it creates this opportunity uh, opportunity for me to do different ways of working with the figure, whether it's a very highly realized portrait, a uh, uh, memory drawing, a composition, it all stems from the immediacy of uh, the model's presence in the very beginning, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's occurring to me as I'm scrolling is that it is endless. You have, you <laughs> must have done thousands and thousands of painting and drawings. Yeah, and I've actually erased a lot from this page, which is mind blowing. <laughs> mind blowing. Yeah, to I'm, me. I'm addicted. I'm, 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 I'm just addicted to what the way the figure moves in space and how they change. I love change. I love adaptation. Uh, I love um, dissonance. I love failure. I love the opportunity that a rubbed out mark will present me. You know. So, you know, I don't do these big pieces that are um, do a, uh, that are filled with with meaning or big, huge canvases that have like these forms moving and turning. And, you know, I always dream to want to do one of those. I don't think I have the propensity, you know, maybe one day I will, but I'm quite happy with doing these one little things. You know, it's like the kind of work that I do is so intense to do a gesture is like physically uh abusive in a beautiful way mm. when i do when i do when i do a gestural cycle like when i i'll i'll call up a model on zoom um and we'll do what we what i like to call a power hour where she will just gesture for an hour probably i don't know 80 gestures or something you're kidding me and at the end of the se- no and at the end of the session i have nothing Everything's been rubbed out. Okay. And it's like at the end of the session, I have to go lay down my arm. I'm like, I'm so like filled up. And I'm, 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 I've always thought, well, I'm kind of, it's just maybe it's a bit self-flagellation. You know, maybe it's voyeuristic. I don't know, all these things. I just love being in that moment. And it's also, it's like I'm cataloging movement. You know, I have this idea that in my 60s or 70s that I may not have that physical ability to draw. You know, I may not have this ability to do what I can do now. And I feel with the gestural approach, I'm kind of loading my memory up. So when those times come, I could work off uh, the ideas that I did. I feel that as I get older, my memory is even sharper than it ever was when I was younger. Really? Yeah. Do you think that's just because of drawing all the time? Yeah. Drawing for me is, it's it's cataloging. You know, gesture, 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 line, 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 rub out, find the form, feel it, catalog it, move on, do another one. I'm thinking long game now. Yeah. I mean, you have seen so many poses. You've seen yeah. the model in so many positions. Right. I mean, you must have a mind of an encyclopedia of the human body. 
I I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I think part of that is just this fear when I was younger, you know, or looking at a Degas drawing and thinking I'm never going to be that good. Mm-hmm. And then really reading about him and studying him and seeing it. He was a very voracious um, drawer of the figure, you know. He was cataloging, you know, and as he matured and got older, he was working from his memory and his works become even more powerful. I really feel like he was preparing for that moment, those moments in his life when he wouldn't have that opportunity. I kind of feel the same way in a bit, you know, especially since I'm going into my autumn years and I'm, I'll have a firm cushion of memory to work from. I want to go out of this world uh, secure with that idea. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in no interest for big money or making grand things. Or, or you know, I think my, the big legacy I would want to left, leave off is, like, give, you know, to inspire some young person to kind of look at what I do and say, look, I, I want to do that. You know, he was crazy. I can do that too, and I could do it even better. I could actually make pieces that are meaningful from what he's done. You know, hmm. um, so I, I really don't care about doing anything grand or big. I mean, here's it's going back into that thing I was telling you. Don't go for the masterpiece. Do the thing you love. Ravish it. Ravish the. The, the intensity that you have for the love of something and feed it and feed it and feed it and just be there. The masterpieces come uh, on their own. So if I leave this planet without doing anything big or great, or, you know, if I don't have a, mag- a, a, a catalog of my work and a retrospective, I really don't give a shit about that. It's not why I'm here. I'm here to draw people and figure out why I do it in my own way and hopefully inspire other people to do it and make something bigger. I'm just a part of a big fabric. And if someone, some young person sees what I I do and they can take it, take the baton and make something bigger, I'll be, I'll rest in my grave or wherever knowing that I was a part of that thread of the big fabric, the big blanket. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like your greatest art to you is your own personal growth and experience. So if you die having lived a better life, you've created your masterpiece. That's true. You know, I can die now. and I think I said I would have done it. You know, I've met so many people and I've been blessed to work with some of the greatest models ever. I mean, I've been so lucky to have had. Uh, male and female models, good friends who have believed in me, you know, at communities of people that have taken the time to, to kind of inspire me. I mean, that to me, you know, you know, for the grace of them go I, you know, I was able to go to South Africa and teach. I was able to go to New Zealand and do a workshop. Just finished doing one in London. I'm going to be doing one in Italy. It's and these were things that were, you know, I'm doing them, but it was all these other people that helped me do that, you know. And I'm seeing places. I'm doing the thing that I love every day. I'm not living high off the hog, but I'm I'm so rich for it. 
I'm so happy that I'm 50 and doing it. I never thought that I would be doing it. That's great. I'm still that little, I'm still that little boy wishing he can draw an arm or a leg like Michelangelo or Degas, but my own way of doing it and just loving it, just getting up in the morning and working with the model and being at one with the universe in that regard. Um, that makes me happy. So, so happy. So speaking of getting up in the morning, how often do you get <laughs> to live this dream? I mean, what does your week look like? My week is every day. I get up around seven, six in the morning, actually. Have a coffee with my girlfriend. Talk about what we're doing. She's a painter too. And she works completely opposite in the way that I work. Um, and get to the studio around 8 a.m., have a coffee, and uh, make a lot of marks on paper. A lot of stuff I don't post. Sometimes I just have the paper and make marks. I listen to my music. A lot of stepping back. I look out my window. And around noon, I have my lunch. Watch some a movie on Netflix. Huh. And puddle around a little bit more. Make a drawing. And then leave. And I just do that every day. You know, I'm making Seven a lot of Seven days a week? Yeah. And I teach uh, my own personal Zoom classes. And then I also teach through the Washington Studio School. I was teaching here in Philadelphia at the Fleischer Art Memorial, but I cut that off because I needed to spend more time building my own work. I was doing a lot of teaching in the past couple of years. Um, and now the, the restrictions of COVID have kind of worn off a little bit. A lot of these places that I was going to teach in 20 when the pandemic hit are coming back and asking me to go out and, and teach. So I'm loving that. I'm loving what my art has given me this opportunity to travel to different places and, and, and expel my wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> or lack, or lack, that's amazing. I'm so happy that I can do that. I never thought I would go to these places ever. Yeah, that is pretty exciting. It's a, it's, it's a blessing. And so, yeah, my day's pretty much like that. And, you know, I accept days when I come into the studio and only work on something for 10 minutes and leave after a really? six-hour day. Yeah. And then there's days that I come in and I just work from 8 a.m. to you know, 4 p.m. nonstop. It's very nonlinear the way that I work, and I accept it. Gone are the days of me leaving my studios or wherever I was working, flagellating myself because I didn't spend five hours working on a painting. Really? It just gets, it just gets so tiring to pressure yourself. For me, it's like when I feel like it, I do it. And when I don't, I don't. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. And the more that I'm okay with that, the more I actually produce. Yeah, I've heard that from a lot of artists. If When they force themselves, well, I've heard different things, actually. I've heard some people, like, you just have to get yourself working. Just get to work. And then I've also heard mm -hmm. that when people work, when they're inspired, they produce more. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's different. You know, I have friends that work from, you know, 8 in the morning until 4 in their studios, and they can do it. You know, I, I wish I could be that person that can just get with a small paintbrush and, and build these things. And, you know, I, I asked, I'd love that, but I don't think I'd ever want to do it. I mean, we all want to paint like another person. 
I mean, that's what Instagram and social media is. We have this thing now that we didn't have 15 years ago where we can like look at artists and we wish we could do what they do, but in real re reality, we don't, you know. Mm -hmm. So many art heroes that I wish I could paint like, you know, they're just oh, just great draftspeople, you know, just so good. And yeah, I go, oh, God, I wish I could do that. And then 10 minutes later, it's like, God, I'm glad I don't do that. <laughs> yeah 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 and it's it's happy i'm happy you know that's it's my world and i love it and i let people in sometimes i try their shoes on and sometimes they don't fit and sometimes they do fit you know and it's the way it is i'm just so okay with a lot of stuff now in my life mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like i do let so much stuff just go over me that martin at 20 would have just like completely turned into a psychosis so you mentioned you know we all go through that especially in this day and age with social media it's 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 easy to compare yourself to others but at, oh, yeah. we're all we're all influenced by other artists too are there influences that have impacted your work well there was Konevsky, of course you know he was my first teacher that i had that actually was like a father he he believed in me and he pushed me. He saw that I could do what I can do, but wanted, but inspired me to want to be more than who I was. So with Alex, it wasn't so much his work, which is amazing, and most people see him for that. But I had the good fortune and the honor to have studied with him for the other thing. And that was just this wisdom of, don't paint like me, Martin, paint like you. Mm -hmm. right? And there's, there's every now and then I'll throw in a little Konevsky kind of feel in my work. You know, I think that's a little bit of an homage to, to, to him. Uh, so he was more of a spiritual, more of a, you know, he cut the cord of, of of being a one-tracked artist, Martin, and be more gregarious with what you do. So hugely impactful in that regard. Yeah, the other great inspiration are the people that I work with. My current family, community I've been working with since pan the pandemic times have been tremendously inspiring. About 16, 17 of these people who have really, for the benefit of, of working virtually, it's opened up um, um, that this, the way that they would in, influence me to do something different. You know, people who do collage or people who go full-on caricature of a model or use a certain color. They've been tremendously influenced. They're like my heroes. These mm -hmm. people on Sundays. Um, and there's a lot of people on Instagram, and because I do look at Instagram a lot when I'm working, that are great. But I think those two, from Alex to my group, and you know, Degas is always that one that I keep looking at. He always comes back to me. You know, Degas, Sheila. I'm currently back in my uh, Frank Auerbach phase again. I knew you were going to say Chile. I I knew that. I <laughs> I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, he's so amazing because 
See, this is fodder for another two hour podcast here. We won't go there. That's for part. <laughs> no, let's part well, two. Just, maybe you could just touch on it a little bit what you were thinking. I want to, I want to, I'm looking for some of the work that I thought of Sheila when, uh, they're kind of everywhere. They, yeah, they're kind of mixed part. through, but yeah, there was a couple that really stood out to me. It's like, ah, oh, he's definitely looking at Chile. So I, this uh, is how kind do I of make one it? of them right here. Yeah. Yeah. How can I make such a broad question? Very. How can I make the, the short of the long here? Uh, what he didn't do. How he used space. I think. And how he, in a very short-handed way, pulled out passion. You know, when we think of Sheila, it also fastly, very quickly think of how Rembrandt would do it in his pen and inks or etchings. You know, this sense of of a very minimal approach, but saying so much of so little is one of those big things about Sheila and at the same time put this intensity of feeling in it. Mm-hmm. That to me is, you know, when it comes to whenever I work with the model and they're affecting me in an emotional way, that way I like, how can I do that in a minimal way? And people ask me, well, why don't, why do you want to do it min- minimally? And it's like, I want the the viewer to be a part of the process of discovering what I'm feeling now. So having a lot of empty space in a piece allows the viewer to be a part of the piece to continue um, to try to grab try to grab onto what I was feeling and continue with it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what I get a lot out from him. Get from him. I'm always chasing that. You know what? Sense of. It, I love your work. I mean, I love Sheila's work, and obviously I love yours. I've already said that. But um, the thing that makes you different, and in my personal opinion, for all the Sheila fans out there, I apologize. I feel Watch like it. you've surpassed him. <laughs> it's because, because and, and you, you are a master draftsman, and you can simplify down to the the necessary elements of composition in both i mean it's because your draftsmanship skills are through the roof and i just love that i love the combination of absolute craftsmanship and ability to draw and then your ability to throw it away when necessary yeah Yeah, it's the model is the the uh the excuse for me to figure out what not to do (laughs) (laughs) and how how to be brave to not shout, you know, how to create a piece. that's like a very minimalistic Miles Davis piece of music or. Yeah. That's what brave is a great word. It's a great word because that's what I think of when I look at your work. I don't know how you get the guts to just, just draw a cone shape with eyes, nose, and a mouth and make it and be okay with it. But I, when I look at it, I'm just like, I want that in, on my wall. You know, but oh, it's so it. you know, simple. There's a, there's a lot of times, so Jeff, beautiful. when I do a piece like that and I like, I want to keep working on it. I have to walk away. 
Why? Why? But how do you know? How do you know you have to walk I, away? That's the see. That's what I what I want to get from you is like. And I know you may not be able to tell me how you do it, but <laughs> like, what is it? One, what is it that gives you the guts to walk away when you have a yellow cone mm -hmm. with a face on it? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is a compliment. Don't take that. I mean, I'm not. I'm no, certainly no, not I, making fun of it. And then. But then also, how do you know? Like, how do you know it's complete when it's so simplistic? Mm, well, I think there's a gesture coming into play here. Like, um, I, I like to tell people that the more I rub out, the more I actually keep. Okay. So uh, um, having that ability to walk away from a very minimal, minimal, minimalistic piece is because I've done you know, scads of drawings to give me that permission to know when to stop. It's just being um, obsessively, if that obsessiveness of the movement of gesture has afforded me that ability to kind of figure out when to do it, when to, when to say, okay, you're done. You know, all those gestures. And then what the model brings, you know, each piece is going to be different because the model is going to bring a feeling there which ties into what we were saying in the beginning like it's absolutely important important that i have a dialogue with the model talk a lot joke around hear about what they've been doing what they ate you know their happinesses their, their sadnesses their struggles so that comes into what i do outside of the studio with my gesture process so when a situation like the yellow one you're talking about, it's a marrying of those two things. And it stops when um, those two come together, they manifest a moment. So having that ability to do a very minimalistic piece is the result of lots of work, lots of destruction and building and rubbing out and finding in combination with talking with the model, being with that specific person. You know, and then the music I listen to, too, which is extremely important, you know. I listen to all kinds of music when I'm working. Um, and so I have drum patterns. I have bass lines. I have guitar breaks. I have the space in between when the musicians aren't playing that activate that space that also come into play. I love activated space, you know, when... You know, the musician strikes a chord or blows a note through a horn and it sits in the air. And then for like a minute or 20 seconds, it feels like it lasts forever. And then they strike the next note. But the space between when they hit the note and it started a new one, it creates this activated space, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And that is really important for me too that mm. what happens what happens when there's nothing is more important than what hap what's happening when there's something there do you find that with yeah. music the rhythm the tempo the, the the feeling that you get from listening to music control or not controls but influences the way you even move absolutely way, yeah i find that with my work if I have to be listening to music that I feel is consistent with the with the energy of the piece, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, part of that development that I had was also in the beginning, you know, I have to give a lot of thanks to James Brown hmm. and Chris, Chris Squire from Yes. Hmm. You know, AC, ACDC, Back in Black, that whole album. You know, that it's just there's all these different things happening. That I mean, listen to uh, a James Brown song, and I'm not talking about his usual hits, you know, like the real deep master funk that happened in the 70s that a lot of people don't listen to, his drummers that he had. Like, how can you walk straight and not move to the rhythm, right? So when I have a model and I have, and I don't really listen to James Brown so much anymore, but it's in my memory. I'll work with the model and they'll do something and it'll remind me of a drum break from a James Brown song that I heard eight years ago. And I follow that rhythm. Like they are locking into that mystic rhythm, you know, and I follow it. Mm. So that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely (laughs) does. like I'm a big Tool fan. I love the band Tool, and they came out with an album a little bit before the pandemic. And their drummer is just Danny Carey is like one of the greatest percussionists out there. And I listened to this whole album for for two years. I mean, I was listening to other things, but just the drum patterning in that album, a, a recent album they did, was just so important to me. The way that I mean, the guy the guy plays like Neil Peart, but he has the the laid back approach of John Bonham. He hits hard like John Bonham, but it's precise like Neil Peart. God rest his soul. And like how and that comes into the rhythm of how I work with my line so much, among other things. You know, I listen to Mozart and Beethoven, and, and uh, you know, I'm very wide varying in the music I listen to. So I just recently discovered these uh, these string quartets from Bach that were done with the double bass, and it's just amazing, the bottom end. Because most of those have never, from what I know, have never been recorded using a double bass. And it just has this amazing, it's like Bach with Paul McCartney playing bass, hmm. which is so strange. And I've been listening to that on a loop for the past three or four days. Wondering, okay, how is this is going to manifest itself in a way, in some way with my work, in my line. So I think because of the fact that I'm so into the primality of line, it keeps me from doing probably big titanic compositions. I I couldn't do a 12 foot by 12 foot piece. Um, with undulating figures like that. I mean, there's just so much energy in my life that it has to be contained in one draw, at least yeah. at this point. Yeah. Maybe as I get older and I slow down, I'll start doing those big pieces. But Well, you look care. like you're having fun because it's like you're – it's like from day to day you're trying a different dessert and enjoying all the variety and whereas i do work on big stuff and i feel like i'm eating the same freaking meal for two years 
And you know what? I have to tell you, man, I, I wish I could. I'm not being, you know, it's like you have all these great people and it's like, I, I it's just, and I feel like I'm like, I was like, oh, he you know, just, you know, I, I go, I go to bed at night worrying. Okay. I'm not, I'm just doing these one shot things every day. Oh, you shouldn't. You know. They're amazing. And then, and then I just get back into the studio and I love it. Just do what you, you do and just love it. And, and I am, you know, it's like every day I'm trying out a new chocolate in the box and tasting it and then putting it back and then doing another one. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels uh, like and, to me. And it's, it's, Hey, how that's, life can be good, right? Yeah. Life is good for that, you know, and I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm okay with it, but you know, I'm always going to feel a little like, ah. but that's the artist, right? Artist is always going to yeah. be a little under developed which is good you should always kind of feel like oh i should do this more we all wake up in the morning you know telling ourselves we should do this more right i still get up in the morning and i need to go study fingers more i need to study feet i need to work on skin tone you know so for all of you young people who are watching this like i'm still doing the same thing you're doing. <laughs> there's no there's, there's no escaping and that's the beautiful thing you'll no. be 70 times yeah. How do you do it? Wrist, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So you do two things for the most part. I mean, you might, ex- I guess more than two. You, I mean, you're doing charcoal, you're doing pastel, you're doing oil. My mm-hmm. personal favorite of your work is your pastels. Um, yeah, I love it all. Most, yeah. I love it all, but oh. dear, I just absolutely adore your pastels. So first of all, how were you introduced to pastel? And how do you feel about it? I mean, what do you have a favorite medium or one that you gravitate toward more than another? Yeah, pastel was one of the first. Well, first it was charcoal. Well, actually, the first medium I ever used was pencil, then charcoal, then pastel. And I've only been painting in oil, like real heavy, for the past probably nine years of my life. So um, I was introduced to pastel um a little bit in um junior high oh that's early 13 yeah and um nice little rembrandt set that my mom and dad bought me bought me materials just because they didn't know what to do with me like i was saying in the beginning like i was the weird one in the group so just to know martin some art materials and he'll just stay in his room with a glass of tea and won't bother anybody which was true live my own world there and they got me a pastel set and I was copying I found out that I could make money in my junior high by doing drawings on book covers remember remember those days when we had book you get book covers and put paper stock on our books and people would draw pictures on yep them? that was my entire art education I never had art classes <laughs> I just covered my books with drawings <laughs> absolutely and people yeah. in, in my junior high high school like hey this guy can draw yeah and same I would get they'd give me books and pay me like a quarter to, <laughs> or whatever a dollar to that's do big change right there and yeah and the first uh, anatomical like full on, like really kind of got me thinking about the body was Iron Maiden Somewhere in Time, that album cover. I copied that because that was the album that was out at that time. And I was in a 
lot of rockers in my school. So that was like the most copied hmm. album cover that I would draw on people's books. And I learned my anatomy by drawing Iron Maiden covers because Eddie the head, Eddie the, the symbol for Maiden, he's all like skeletons and muscle. Mm-hmm. And I was able to draw that, his form from memory. That's and impressive. So rock stars, and then I was like using pastel and drawing Eddie Van Halen and Blackie Lawless, you know, from Wasp and, you know, all these things. And, you know, again, it was like drawing this stuff because they were cool. Mm -hmm. It was neat and it was strange. Were you born in 1971? Is that when you were born? Uh, 72. 72. Yeah, you're my sister's age because I remember she listened to all that music, too. (laughs) I don't know. That's bringing back memories. Yeah, it was yeah. it was great, really great. So pastel was very early on, and um, I really didn't hit it full on until probably after, um, probably in the past seven years, I really dove into it. Oh, so you've been painting you know? longer than you've been past doing pastel seriously. It's it's really strange, Jeff, because I don't follow a very solid linear kind of a development. Like I would visit a medium for two or three years and go away from it. Right. You know, and come back to it for another two years and go away from it. So it's really spotty. But I think within the past eight, I'd say 10 years, actually, um, something gelled with pastel. I think there was something... Um, it may have been the fact that I got a more than fair to Midland set, like a good set of Snelliers that someone gave me, and it was a right paper, and the light was right one day, and something happened, and you know, all those years of using pastel, like okay, now it's time to do something with it, type of an attitude. Um, and then having models do poses. That were very impossible. You know, I was challenging myself with uh, asking models to really push the parameters of how they twist and turn. Like, can I get that from pastel? Is it is t- this medium is so not of people's first choice to use? Mm-hmm. Very dirty. Yeah. Right. And so it's I would not think that of that. Permanent. Like, That's been my fear. No. It's so yeah. fragile. And, <laughs> yeah. And then there's the other reason why I wanted to do it because of the fact that it had all of these, I guess, negatives to it. Right. You know, and it all kind of comes back to Degas. You know, he was, God, the king of pastel. Still is. I don't care what anybody says out there. He is the pastel god forever. He is the, the, the one and all, the one and only for me. And how he took that medium to the forefront. And so I was very inspired by that attitude of taking a medium that is, has all of these, um, I think, maybe negatives, the non-permanence, the friability, the, the messiness of it, and bring it to the forefront. Like, what can I do with it? You know, there aren't a lot of people using pastel, you know. No. And I feel like it, it kind of in a way maybe that pied piper of the pastel to push people you can you know it is a viable medium to me it's not a drawing a pastel is a painting 
and you know there's gonna be people that are gonna be like now get emails from people like i don't care what you say it's a painting oh i think most people in our field see it that way yeah you get people i get people that you know because on instagram i'll hashtag pastel painting this that whatever no every now and then i'll get someone who will comment that's a drawing not a painting I don't even comment on that anymore. It's like I'm tired of that. It's <laughs> to me, in my heart, who cares. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I just love that—the fact that it is. It's just so. The color is just so vibrant in a way. Mm-hmm. I can't that I can't get in oil. You know, there's certain things in oil that I can't get in pastel. So, you know, cross-referencing medium. There's things in watercolor that I can't get from pastel or, or oil. You know, so, you know, being very diverse, but pastel is the kind of probably the the one that I would go to in, in the fire to walk into the studio and the model be posing and be the first medium I'd go to. Mm-hmm. Like, without even, like, if the model's doing something intense, boom, up, you know, grab it like I would grab, you know, or grab it like I'd scratch a sudden itch on my head you know boom no no thinking about it just do it because of the immediacy of drawing and how it's drawing with color you know boom you, you mean get painting in one you mean painting yeah. painting, <laughs> painting. <laughs> you did it to yourself mostly <laughs> because i'm a draftsman i think yeah. i consider myself a right well we've said drawing with paint so i'll forgive you yeah yeah <laughs> drawing with paint yeah (laughs) you know know, i always consider myself a draftsman i'm a drawer not a painter now people think i know a lot about color i don't know like anything about color (laughs) i I really don't that's a good you're a brilliant brilliant colorist (laughs) brilliant colorist Well, well here's the thing with that you know that um, and, you know, this is a very true story, very short. When I was in art school, you know, I never completed a color chart. I haven't either. I, you know, and I actually had to bribe a friend with a pastry to finish mine for class because I just couldn't do it. I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I, I probably could do it, but I just, it's futile to me. You know, all my colors jump. If I were to do an eight value, you know, someone were to give me black and white and I have to do an eight value scale gradual shift, they would jump. They, they all jump. But when a model's posing or I'm driven by the emotion of what's happening, I can, it just happens. So um, the color is driven by uh, the emotive impact or the intensity of what a model's doing or a memory or a sensation. Um, and that's when it happens. Yeah. More so it's very intuitive and a very arbitrary way of working. It's kind of going at color at the, at the, you know, from the back door and going left field for it. And, and I tell that to students, it's like, yeah, you can learn the rudiments, but really go with your feeling to see what color. Color is, I think, for me, a hard thing to teach because it's so personal. Can I say this? Yeah. Color to me, 
see the color charts. I'm sure they're useful. You know, I did a I did a podcast with um, T. Ellen Lawson, and he's a absolute advocate of it. You know, different mm -hmm. temperament though, different temperament than you, obviously. Um, but that said, um, to me, learning to match color is a craft. It's just a, you know, one plus two equals three, you know, you yeah. get the, you get the formula down. Eventually you'll get good at it, but doing what you're doing, being able to make color sing and vibrate and evoke emotion and exploit mm -hmm. those attributes that color has is that's the art to me. That's mm -hmm. what, and that's why you, like you said, you almost can't teach it because you can say, yeah, mix yellow and green. You get blue. <laughs> Did I say yellow mm -hmm. and green, yellow and blue, you get green. I'm not a colorist either. Um, and you can, you know, mix these two colors, you get blue, but that's not art. That's just science. Yeah. You know, yeah, but you're and a colorist, I, man. You are a colorist all the way. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at this, this, uh, this painting, pastel painting you got right here <laughs> with the yellow and the red split. And then you've got these bold violets in her flesh, which clearly weren't mm -hmm. there. Right. Mm -hmm. No, it is so no. unbelievably gorgeous that, that, mm. And it's really bold because, you, I mean, as someone who loves color too, you know, when you put yellow and red together, you're, you're, you're working on one side of the color wheel, you know, at least two thirds of the color wheel. Right. And then, mm -hmm. so you're kind of creating this harmony, but then, then you throw in the compliment and it throw, it could potentially throw everything out the window. Now, now you're all over the color wheel. Now it's like, it could be a disaster. You somehow pull it off. I mean, it just pops. Yeah, don't don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> like, now I'm like, you, know, you don't want to get a big ego. A in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, too like bad. Working, That's my job in the podcast yeah. to give people egos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like I truly don't know what I'm going to do with painting when I'm, you know, I always go back to drawing. Drawing is the thing. It's like it's going to be my my security blanket it's a more um i think i was listening to an interview uh of frank Auerbach recently because there's a new book coming out um about his drawings of people and there was a interview that was conducted in november of last year now he's talking about uh, this idea of color and you know, like how he feels that um, this is a wonderful thing that he said that I can completely relate to it. That when he has a model that comes in, he feels much more comfortable doing a drawing because he sees that they have confidence in the fact that the artist knows what he's doing. And to do a painting in front of a model is harder because they can see the hopelessness of the whole endeavor of painting. Mm. And I, when I heard that, I totally related to that in the way that I would approach um, a, a piece. Like I always go to the drawing because to me it's it has that sense of quick reality and believability to it. Immediacy, okay. yeah. 
you, it's you like, can boom, get something right good pretty quick. Yeah. And, and it both it bolsters your confidence, yeah. and then you're willing to kind of put color up against it to test it. Right. You'll always have the design, and the color is like it's like color is like like how you live every day of your life. Death is always right at your shoulder. <laughs> and color is like right there withdrawing, like symbiotically. They're not completely superimposed over one another, but they're next to each other. And so I love that 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 duality. And so um, I like to tell my students that your color is going to use color to test your design. So um, every piece that you see where there's this bright color, it's testing the uh, composition, hmm. the space, the, the, the flesh, the, the, the form. So um, I think the more bolder you see color in a piece, it's more me trying to push a drawing that can almost fail. So there's hmm. something wrong with it. And when you have that kind of holistic sense of what color can do, then you can do some things with it, some kind of superhuman things you never thought. I think you're using color even more effectively when you're putting it right up against the wall. But you're not, has to prove. you're not suggesting that you're using color to save a drawing, are you? I am, in oh, some yeah. respect. Okay. It's, I have the drawing, and then I push, push color to test the credibility of a line or the oh, space. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So right. it's not merely do the drawing and then fill it in. I mean, there's some drawings where I do that. And there's some where it's just like I'm going hell-bent for leather and see what happens when I put purple there. And it's to push, push some, some element of that pose, whether it's a formal element or a emotional element. So would you say that color, I'm an analogy guy, because I, I understand things through analogies, but would you say color is like when you're clothes shopping, you see this beautiful dress, the color is the dress, and you, but you have to put it on your body before you know if you're the right body for that dress. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful analogy. Okay. One of many kinds of analogies. And having that, um, you know, it, it, it's color, you know, for me is like the, 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 the litmus test for a drawing in a way. Okay. And when the color becomes more interesting, then I push up against it with the drawing. And then when the drawing becomes more too intense, I push up against it with color. So there's mm. that tension between the two things. They manifest themselves and they blend and then something happens. And then that's not even including what the model's bringing in. I haven't even mentioned that. Yeah. So, so there's all of these different polarities happening. You know, you're juggling all this stuff at once. And it is electric. When I think about it, you know, when I go live, I do a lot of lives on Instagram. And I turn my camera on, and then I start seeing people come in, like 20 people are watching, 30 people are watching. I'm usually one of those watching. people, by the way. Yeah. You're, you're one of the and few live guys that I watch. I mean, because it's just, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, 
the way you just draw, wipe it off, draw again, wipe it off, draw again, wipe it off. It's kind of anxiety inducing, but it's also inspiring. <laughs> yeah, it's like you all can do it. I mean, it's like watching failure happen in someone who can work really well. It's like what I was talking about, those students that I was working with when I was going to art school, watching these people who can just technically draw a figure well and then destroy it was superhuman to me. This trust in their own vision, the vision being more important than the actual physical thing. They wanted to like be superhuman with, they were trying to take these gooey paints they're, they're being alchemists of a vision that they wanted. And it was like, wow. So having that opportunity to do that on a live, to inspire people to transcend that medium and just let it go is, you know, that's that golden ticket to like the thing that's inside of you that can come out that you never thought could happen. It's very superhuman. And so, when those people are coming in, I have a bare sheet of paper. I have to tell you, Jeff, I'm like, I'm a failure. I can't do this. I'm going to be horrible. And then I just start. And then it happens. It's it's very, very amazing how that moment before I start, I have all the doubt in the world. But then you just jump into it and then let, let it happen. And yeah. there was this... Thing that Jimmy Page said, the guitarist for Zeppelin, that you know he's just turned 80 or 79 a couple of days ago. The guy's made, you know, he's like one of those great musicians in the pantheon of rock or whatever. But to this day, he still feels that one morning he's gonna wake up and he's not gonna know how to play the guitar. <laughs> but he has well, that's to one... every day. Yeah, but every day he has to keep that other day as far away from him as possible. And that's through work. Okay, well, that's one step ahead of me because every morning I wake up and I don't think I can play the guitar, so to speak. It's like, in other words, I'm like, I don't know how to paint. What the heck? It's, it's, so he's, it's he's one good. step think, ahead of me. Yeah, I think it's healthy to be very real. Oh. Um, be existential about this thing you know it's it's gosh it's like i still think i can't do this and then i just do this thing for 20 minutes and i step back and like that wasn't me hmm. that was i was like wow that's like pure magic and i just oh, happened is, to be there this is deja vu i literally just posted <laughs> on monday um a uh a podcast that i did with um Kimball Geisler and he said <laughs> I can't remember how it came up but he's like it's really kind of unfair as an artist because when you're painting in front of somebody or some people they just expect you to do magic and you're scared out of your mind <laughs> looking at that oh, yes. blank canvas but they but they're not yeah. in your mind they have no idea the the hell you're going through you know, and then you just said this today. And you, you literally used <laughs> you literally used oh, the word magic. It's just it's it's we all yeah. we must all go through it. 
you know, okay. just that fear, teach, like fear said, of the I, blank paper, yeah. blank canvas. Uh, it's, it's, it's real. And, um, I don't think it's for me, it's a fear of, it's, it's a different kind of fear. It's not a fear that I, I mean, I know I can do it, but it's like this, it's another, it's hard to explain. It's another kind of fear. Cause I know that I can physically do it. I yeah, think we it's all more know like, cause we've done it. It's an irrational fear. Yeah. It's totally irrational. Yeah, abs- absolutely. But then there's that other fear that's like, I don't know, because I do lots of demos, not only on Instagram, but when I teach, I'm always, you know, whatever. And yeah, every time it's futile. (laughs) They're going to see me. They're going to see me just completely bomb this thing. (laughs) You know, and then I do it and then I think, God, that's horrible. And I look and they're all with their mouths open like, oh, my God. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, oh. And then what? A week later, I looked at it and go, what that? Mm. So it's like, you know, doing lives on Instagram is very therapeutic for me because it exercises a lot of those internal demons. You know, like, okay, there's 40 people watching, blah, 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 blah. It's more for myself. You know, and I know that there's going to be a time, excuse me, when I'm going to just stop doing them. You know, I actually haven't been doing any lives for the past month and a half. Yeah, I've noticed. I yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm in a moment where I'm kind of transitioning into things right now. And, but um, I'm probably going to get back to doing it. But it's just to let people know, for me, it's not only, it's really to help myself, like, divorce myself from like um the the magic of it you mm-hmm. know just it's a it's, it's a thing do it and the more that i create it you know it's going back to that conversation about don't expect the masterpieces just do the work right you know and then that's when the stuff happens when you're not putting it in this kind of valhalla place you know it just happens through just like do a drawing like you would change a tire or fix a toilet. Right. Right. Just the sheer gotta do it. And then you step back and the magic happens. But if you go in with the idea of magic, it's for me, it's gonna fail all the time. If mm-hmm. I think too much about how beautiful the model is, and I have to get that beauty, and I haven't even put a mark down, ain't gonna work. Hmm. Just get into it, jump into it with both feet and fail, laugh, just blah, blah, blah. And then you look back, oh, my God, I got it. You know what happened. So you just have to be in the moment is what you're saying, I think. Yeah, just totally in, you know, every live, every demo or whatever I do is getting me closer and closer to being more in the moment. Not two minutes before or 30 minutes after, but being in that space where i'm not drawing anymore you know i'm like in heaven or whatever you know you're in that moment where things disappear and you're at one you know we've all felt that way in things where time goes very fast or whatever or you know 
seems like you're working for two hours or 30 minutes and it's been three hours. Being in that space and, and being there uh, is very, 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 very important. Hmm. You know, stepping away a lot, locking into the sensation. Uh, what Martin at 50 thinks more now than Martin at 20, when Martin at 20 uh, was thinking he needed to be separate to see what he was doing. I had to be away from it to see it. Now I'm more into it, and to hell with what it looks like, or to hell with my idea of what it will be. Be there in the moment. Let it take care of itself. And that's probably been the success of some of the pieces I've done because I measure this, the goodness of a drawing or a painting by the fact that I was in that moment effectively. It's not, oh, I did a beautiful butt or a great arm. Yep, that was a moment when I was in it. I could feel it. That's yeah. a physical example of me locking in to what they were doing. But it transcended the paint. It became flesh. And it became the feeling of what they were giving me. Would you agree, though, that you can't really achieve that space of being in the moment unless you've paid your dues and put in years of drawing Absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. the magic's yeah. never going to happen if you don't have the foundation, right? Right. you gotta, you got to pound the pavement. You know, you got to pay your dues. You know, I did years of cast drawing. I did years and years of uh, closed form, open form, figure drawing. I mean, a lot of grunt work. Right? Lots and lots of newsprint paper hmm. before I couldn't use newsprint paper anymore. When someone literally picked me up by the shirt and said, if you use another sheet of newsprint, I'm going to kill you. You're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder I can... how many great drawings are just turning yellow and falling apart somewhere. Yeah, probably tons. <laughs> Mostly back, back home, my mother and father, when I too many drawings, I ship them. Mm. They, have a, they have a shack outside of, of my uh, childhood home. It's like a little building, and there's like boxes and boxes of my old drawings. So when I go visit them in New Mexico, I go into that room and turn on a light and go look at my past life. Hmm. A lot of it is looking at these old drawings when I was 16, 17. I almost like get very, very, I do, I get very, very heavy in my heart. I'm like, Jeez, oh, you thought you were good then. Like, geez, you what gave you the energy to want to keep going? You know, and it's just like, oh God. And to see where you're at now, and actually to see where you're gonna, you know, ten years from now. Again, going back to the very beginning, your artwork is just a kind of light motif or whatever of your life. You know, I'm mm -hmm. seeing that more now than ever. That it was never really about me. You know, it's been about something much bigger. I just happen to physically be here to do it and have the spirit, hopefully, to do it. But yeah, you got to pay your dues, kids. Yeah. You pay those dues. You, you 18 year old, 17 year old, go out and just work with the model and learn your color and try different. Tools. That's one of the big pieces of advice I'd ever given any student is use as many mediums as you possibly can. 
and work from memory. Do a lot of memory work in lots and lots and lots. If you're a figurative artist, lots of drawing from the live model. I couldn't there's agree no, more. There's no replacement. There really there are no shortcuts to this. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be an artist and you want to do something, you gotta you gotta commit. You gotta go the long haul. You know, and it and it's it's beautiful when you do it. You know, I'm looking at the other side almost, and I'm so happy that I did the long haul. It's all those things that I was working so hard, and all those days when I thought, oh, this is I'm never going to get good. It's starting to pay off now, because I stuck with it. I just stuck with it. And the jewels are starting to come out now. Yeah. And huge, huge, huge thank yous to all those models that have helped me do that. I'm still dependent on on that. You know, they're the number one. Angers my girlfriend when I say that. When I do a good drawing, I say, well, I didn't do that. The model did it. She's like, no, Martin, shut up. You were there. You did it. I'm like, yeah, I was there, but you were there. I mean, I wouldn't have done the drawing if they didn't inspire me. No, that's a, that's a, I really appreciate that humble attitude toward it. I mean, I think models don't often get their due. No, that's they a don't. really, a really that's cool a, outlook. They do not. They don't get paid well. Yeah. They don't get respected. And I remember when I was starting out that I would see how models were being treated. You know, like I never tape models. Mm -hmm. you know, when I'm, if you ever do a long pose, I never tape a model. To me, taping a model, and it's just, I think it dehumanizes them. It's like they're an object, and they're not objects. They're a living being. As far as my work is concerned, they're more than that. They're a spirit. So, you know, all those years, you know, I was like, whenever I have enough money, I'm going to pay them the way they should be paid. Yeah. And I do. You know, I when I sell a couple of drawings, a lot of that goes directly to paying a model. They're really surprised, you know. Like, are, are you really going to? Like, yeah, because you worked hard. You know, I only choose models that I know that I can work with in that way. And, and it's like the money's not even enough. Actually, when, like, every model I've ever worked with has several of my, you know, more than several of my drawings. Hmm. Every model I work with gets free work. And so it's like, God, money isn't enough. I would, you know, it's like every time I compensate a model and they're surprised, I'm even more surprised that I can't give them more. You know, because of where I'm at, where I've, the fire they've lit. And that's like every model, not one specific one, but the whole, you know, they have made me. You know, they've helped me to find who I am. So. Oh, I appreciate that. that. Well, Martin. So all, you models, all you models rock out there. All of them. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> we couldn't. Figurative painters, we couldn't do it without them. Well, Martin, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, as I said before, I'm a huge fan, and I'm really honored that you were willing to do this podcast. So Absolutely. thank you very much. And and thank you, uh, Jeff, for having me. And you know, I want to thank my girlfriend for being that huge support and inspiration, and all the people out there on Instagram and the virtual world. 
you know, just keep painting, keep drawing, and don't ever stop. Good advice. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.